0: And now, here's your host. Hey
1: everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. On today's podcast, I wanted to talk about some current events, as I sometimes these days do. I wanted to talk about a couple of things that are happening at Walt Disney World that are kind of changing the experience a little bit and wanted to kind of get into it a little more. Look, Disney introduced the Genie app, and then they've reintroduced the annual passes, and those are some things that are worth talking about for a few minutes. Yeah, I haven't been to the parks since the pandemic started, and I don't know when I'm going to get back for a lot of reasons, pandemic included. But eventually I will, I assume. And uh, I'm already thinking about what my strategy is going to be going because things are going to be very different. What I experienced in the parks before will not be what I experience in the future. That's just the nature of it. Disney, for many years, has been trying to figure out how to turn the tables and, you know, tip it in favor of the people who are the vacation club owners or the people who are the uh, highest paying customers, you know, their highest value customers. You know, in Disney's parlance, I would call it, you know, Bob Chapek's yield. You know, it's how do we maximize the dollars that come from people that visit our parks. And so taking it away, taking that, that um, the experience away from the, your annual pass holders, your locals, the people who have done it a million times, you're challenging Um, You're saying to them, hey, you know, you can come and enjoy our parks, but you're going to have to pay a little more for it. And the people that are coming, that are spending a lot on a vacation, get the maximum value for their dollar. And I get it from Disney's perspective, but it's just different, right? So we have to consider what's going to be different. Now, couple that with what Disney is doing and the way that they're changing sort of their mindset on the parks, right? Right everything was about theming and thematics and it was about this immersive this deeply immersive experience that's one of the reasons that i'm so fascinated by disney is this deeply immersive sort of thing that happens when you go to the parks and you get to enjoy it and uh, really become a part of it and then you know it started to change over the years they started to make some modifications to that sort of strategy it wasn't so much about that immersive experience anymore it was very heavily themed but it was different and you look around you know, Pirates of the Caribbean is a great uh, you know, high water mark, if you will, where uh, things changed. You know, you look at it and you say, okay, so Disney had a ride that was very successful. Then they created a movie around that ride, and then they changed the ride to match the movie. So the story went from the abstract pirates, where they were doing things, to this specific storyline of Jack Sparrow, played by Johnny Depp, to talk about that storyline. And it sort of loses that imagination piece, right? Because the imaginative part... You go through the Pirates of the Caribbean and you get to enjoy the experience, but you don't know these pirates. You don't know who they are. You don't know what town they're sacking. You don't know anything about them. You have no story, but that's what made it interesting. Your mind could wander and you could make up your own story or you'd hear some cast member talk about a story or you'd hear some story, read something on the internet or before the internet, you read something in a book or a newspaper about some of the backstory and it would make it more interesting because it had a deeper story than you ever knew, or at least imaginatively it did. where. When it's now the Jack Sparrow story, it's good, but it's not the same thing, right? It doesn't have that depth of story to it in that same sense. You know the story of Jack Sparrow, and you know how it's going to come out, and you know who all the players are, all the pirates are. So it's kind of a different story. And then you hear about them changing all these other attractions or making new attractions that are based on intellectual property, the things that Disney owns that they want to promote in some ways. They'll sell more T-shirts and hats and, you know, action figures or whatever things they're going to sell. And they're making it about something that they specifically own, rather than being these abstract concepts and something that's a little more thematic in a way, right? So it changes the nature of the park and your experience in the park. And from what I've gathered over the years, things start to become a little less depth of story and a little more themed. And there is a distinction there. So you go into it and you're, you're at the amusement park and you're enjoying yourself and it's themed that way, but it doesn't have that depth, that, that immersiveness to it that really made Disney, Disney. So it's just changing in that sense. And that, I find that a little troubling, but I'm willing to overlook that as long as they still provide a top-notch experience, right? As long as I can still go there and enjoy it in my own eyes, even if it's in my own head and it's sort of the memory of having been here or there and what it was like, it's still positive. But if they change it completely, maybe not. But we'll see. So anyway, they started announcing some things. And one of the first things they announced was that FastPass, um, excuse me, not FastPass, the um, park reservation system is here to stay. And uh, Josh DeMauro made that clear that it was going to stay for at least the next one or two years um, into the foreseeable future. And I would argue that with the Genie app, that's going to be even longer. It's going to be permanent. It's a, it's a thing that's going to happen. And so it's kind of a weird thing to have to plan. When you're a local or you're you know, you're know around and you do the things like I do them, where you just kind of show up, now I have to plan a little bit, which is just a different experience. So I have to get used to that. And that's okay, I just need to get used to it. So you've got these things going on. So Disney then announced this Genie app. And the Genie app is there to provide that ultimate experience if you're a high value customer or you're somebody who really wants to immerse yourself in things. You can do that. By the way, the uh, Star Wars hotel kind of fits in that theme too, because I can go there and I can spend Boku bucks. You know, the number is just so high, and I can have this immersive experience for a couple of days, where it feels like I'm on a ship, and I go into the uh, land of Batu and I do whatever, and you know, I have this experience, and it's just different than staying in a hotel or having an experience that I want to have. You know, so it kind of fits in there. I'm I'm capturing the dollars, the yield from these people who really want to have a deep experience. So if we take a look at the Genie app, what the Genie app offers us is sort of a replacement for the My Magic and FastPass Plus. It's it's sort of a replacement for that. Now, you don't have to use the genie app that's the that's sort of the initial tier that's the entry level you could just skip the the um, genie app completely and go 100 percent old school like it was before they had fast passes and just show up in an attraction stand in the standby queue for whatever the wait time is and just ignore the whole fact that they have an app at all so for people that don't use smartphones don't like to use smartphones don't want to use smartphones in a park whatever the options may be you could certainly do that and just wander around the park and do that there will still be i think some kiosks that tell you some information, I think, but um, generally speaking, it'll be very old school in that sense where you can just kind of wander around and, uh, and visit the, the park at your leisure. So the second level is the free version of the Genie app costing you $0. In that case, you get the chance to look at the apps kind of similar to the way that the Disney Parks app works today, where you can look at it and make your mobile orders. You can do some dining reservations. You can look at the wait times at attractions the one difference would be is that you can't book 3 fast passes in advance. Now you will be able to just book one Lightning Lane pass. Remember the Lightning Lane is the fast pass return time. You can book one in real time as you're going through the park. So I'm looking at it and I say, "Oh, look, I want to wait for the Haunted Mansion. Oh, the Haunted Mansion has a 20-minute wait time, but I can get a Lightning Lane pass for it right now and just go on it right now." So I could do that and avoid the 20 minutes. You could apply that to other attractions as well. I'm just using that one as an example. So you can do that and k- trick you know, pick one application or one application, one thing that you want to do, one attraction that you want to do, uh, and get in and do that. So you can do it in, um, you can do it in real time sort of that way. Now we'll also provide some sort of planning for you, um, some suggestions and things you can do based on where you are in the park and the things that you like doing. You, it will help guide you a little bit more to make it a little bit more of an experience. And that one's free. Now, there's a paid version of the app that allows you much more access. Now, there's still some details missing on this, but the general nature of it is if you pay for the app, um, and it's going to be about $20 a day per person, it will allow you some number of fast pa- excuse me, lightning lane passes to uh, actually go in and experience some of the attractions you want to experience. And you can book them in advance. But that costs something, right? So now you can do the things that the My Magic, <laughs> sorry, I'm getting all confused on the terms here, on the on the old uh, Disney Parks app and the whole My Magic Experience thing, those things um, will now cost you $20 a day basically. Now, there is a higher tier version of this that allows you to kind of customize your vacation. So kind of like the idea of staying in the, uh, in the space-themed hotel, you can actually book in the entirety of your vacation. So let's say you want to have a princess experience with your little one little girl little boy it doesn't matter you want to have a princess experience so you set it all up and uh, you can go through and configure the app to actually pick the attractions you want to do and it will suggest some the uh, princess greetings that you want to do and again it will suggest some uh, you can pick your dining which may include some princess themed dining say it um, cinderella's royal table or something and it'll actually pick some things for you to do and get an itinerary for you for the day, and then give you that itinerary so you know where to go, when to go, how to go, blah, 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 right? So you can enjoy yourself and have this immersive experience that you wanna have. But again, it's gonna cost you something per person. They haven't announced how much that's gonna be yet, but this is really where they wanna provide the value for the vacation club owners and the people that are doing uh, these high-end vacations where you're actually getting some bang for your buck, basically, and getting some value out of it. So there is something uh, to be said for that, but it's kind of a weird thing that Disney has just changed the paradigm, right? And for all of these, what you start to notice is, the important thing is that they're staffing appropriately, so they have to actually have uh, the, um, the park entrance, this park reservation system in place to make sure that you get there, right? So that's, this is what changes. It's a different experience when you get there because you're now having to go through and set it up for yourself so that you're doing your park reservation, that you're doing your experiences and you've got that all in there. And Disney's trying to economize and maximize their dollars, their yield, to make sure that they get the most out of it. Now, I've also heard tell that Disney is going to announce a a specialty version of a thing where you can just get the lightning lane pass to go into specific attractions. So basically, it's sort of in between the second and third levels where you can pay more, even more, and get to some specific lightning lanes to make sure you get on the attractions you want to get to. You know, so you may go in and you may see, see that Rise of the Resistance is not available, But you could pay more and get a lightning lane pass and make sure that you ride that attraction because it's something you want to uh, ride. So we'll see if they actually do that or if they make you buy the fully immersive experience to be able to do that. I don't know. Speaking of Rise of the Resistance, I heard a couple of days ago that they're changing to take away the virtual queue. And they use the word temporarily, and I use it in quotes. Because what they're saying is that they want to take away the idea of the virtual queue for Rise of the Resistance for now and then bring it back at a future time, perhaps. And I think that this is the beginning of a change to the system. The virtual queue is nice, and what they may do when you come back, uh, when you basically want to go with the standby line, there is no real standby line for Rise of the Resistance. So what they may do is just say, okay, if you want to come to the Rise of the Resistance, you come up as though you're going in the standby line and we give you a spot in the virtual queue at that point, and then you leave and come back at a certain time. Right. So the virtual queue would change its nature rather than being what it is today. So the nature of actually seeing attractions and doing things is going to change. So as someone who hasn't seen the rise of the resistance yet, because the last time I went, it was still, you know, they were still doing the virtual queuing that you had to be there at five o'clock in the morning to get there. And I wasn't able to do that. So I haven't seen it yet. And it's possible based on all these changes that I may never get to see it unless I'm willing to pay for it out of my own pocket to go and see it. I don't know if i'm going to be willing to do that or interested in doing that haven't decided yet but i also want to wait it out and see what they choose to do with it and whether this is going to be something that is has to happen that way i just don't know Uh, we'll see what uh, what happens as time goes on now disney also announced that their uh, annual passes will be returning to uh, florida to florida at the disney world park and primarily they're geared toward florida residents this is kind of an interesting little thing they used to have a, a variation on the number of different annual passes they had, so you could find one that worked within your budget, and you could find one that worked within your the things you wanted to do, and you know park hopping and blah 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 all these things you might have um, that would allow it. So they've done away with almost all of them. Now they had the annual pass that they um, they offered the opportunity to get a refund on your annual pass as the pandemic started. And then they offered to reinstate it if you wanted to be reinstated so that was a short-term offer Uh, i think most people just gave it up and didn't take it back and figured they'd wait and see Um, so i think that was a calculated move on disney's part some people went ahead and kept it and or reinstated it and then paid the fee to to uh, go for another year but i think the reality is that most of these annual passes will expire the end of this year early next year i don't think they're going to go much beyond you know like february of next year There might be a few stragglers that hang in there but i think they're going to try and get people to migrate to this new annual pass system and the new annual pass system is a more expensive and b more restrictive so it's interesting they only introduced four new annual passes so the first one is uh, the disney pixie dust pass which is uh, for florida residents only it has admission to one or more walt disney world park uh, monday through friday during certain times of year uh, with the park reservation this pass can hold up to three reservations at one time on a rolling, uh, rolling basis. This is three reservations for uh, park entrance. Has blockout out dates uh, and does include parking and it has some uh, advantage to uh, dining. It'll, it has some discount on dining. So this costs $400 uh, uh, as, an, as a price. Um, and interestingly, um, they used to have a weekday select pass that was a little under $300. So they're basically increasing the price by $100 and um, offering more, fewer blackout dates. So you can go during most of the summer because one of the things about the the weekday select pass was the summer was blacked out generally. So this allows for more days, but it's only weekdays and it's, you know, so it's 200 and something days a year that you can go. But for $400, there's a value to it. So there's something good with that. And the second level of pass is the Disney pirate pass. This is for Florida residents only also. It allows for admission to one or more parks on uh, most, da- most days of the year um, with uh, park reservations uh, required. This one can hold four reservations at a time, so you can pick four days you want to go. Um, blockout dates do apply, including peak and holiday seasons. So basically during Easter and Christmas time, you're blocked out. And that would be true of the, of the lower pass as well. It does include parking. It does include uh, dining uh, discounts. This one is $700 per year. Again, it's a value depending on how often you're going to go, but uh, it's definitely more expensive to uh, to go. The third one is the Disney Sorcerer Pass. This one is for Florida residents and Disney Vacation Club members only. Uh, again, it's admission to one or more theme parks, can hold up to five reservations, so you can basically go for a week. Um, it has blockout dates on select days during holiday periods, so you know. It's just really around uh, like the Christmas time season that's really the, the, the big blockout for this one. Um, it does include parking and dining as well. And this one is $900 per year per person. Um, and then the highest level one is the Disney Pass. Now the Pass will be available to everyone and not just Florida residents and vacation club owners. So this is the one, if you're not a Florida resident, not a vacation club owner, this is the only version of the annual pass you can get. It includes the same things as the one below it, so admission to one or more parks, um, five reservations, no blackout dates. That's important. That's the difference there. And it includes parking and uh, discounts on dining. But this one is thirteen hundred dollars per person per year. So you really have to maximize maximize your value. Generally speaking, the price to get in the park is about one hundred and ten dollars per day to get into a single park per day is about one hundred and ten dollars. Parking is, I think, still twenty-five dollars. That's uh, you know. It's, if, you're, if you're thinking about it that way, if you're going by yourself, that's $135 just to get in the door. So if you take this out and you say, I'm going to go for 10 days during the year, I have an equivalent value. But because, I, because there's surge pricing and other things, it could actually be a bigger value to you to, go, um, uh, to use this pass um, in that sense. Depends on how often you're going to go. But these are the passes that are available now. But you notice the change here, right? There's no more af- after 4 o'clock Epcot pass. There's no more of these um, passes that allow you different nuances within what the parks you can go to and when you can go and those kinds of things it's very It's very structured now, and Disney has kind of figured out how to maximize their profit while still allowing for Florida residents to come to the parks and locals and you know people who uh, have a vacation club property so it's kind of interesting that they've changed the nature of this, and it's kind of daunting, so I think about it as a as a very regular up until a year ago, 18 months ago, I was a very regular person going to the park. I would go two, sometimes three times a year, depending on how things worked out and timing for me. But at least twice a year, I would wind up at the parks and I would go in for a day or two. And I could just show up when I wanted, come and go as I pleased. You know, if the fast pass was available, I would use it. And, you know, you kind of work it out and make it work for yourself that way. And My annual pass wasn't prohibitively expensive it started off at a very reasonable rate for me and then it just kept increasing in price and now here's the next increase in price and the fact that i have to um do the theme park reservation and that i have to think it through a little more it's all becomes more complicated right just more challenging for me and for everyone i would argue it's just changing the nature of what we're doing so i just wanted to share that with you and i'm not sure how this is going to work out eventually I will make it back to the parks. It'll happen. I'm not going yet. I'm not ready to go yet for a lot of reasons, pandemic included. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of reasons I'm not ready to go back to the park yet. I'm waiting it out to see how this kind of works out. And look, you know, we're got, we've got the 50th anniversary going on uh, starting here in a, in a couple of weeks. And it'll go on for 18 months because they know that that's the only way they're going to get people to um, be able to partake in it and enjoy it because it's just right now it's it's difficult you, international travelers can't come to disney world so you hear about the theme parks being basically effectively empty though they're not really but by the standards that we've set of how many people can come in the parks you know we've, we've certainly uh, narrowed that down now the other thing i wanted to mention was disney is doing more things you know they're trying to limit the number of people that can come in the park in a day for a period of time there they were like they would just set a set a limit there was a there was sort of a uh, hard and fast rule for a long time that there was a number of people that would let in any park and then they started just kind of lifting that cap and letting more people in and then when they once they reached a certain point that it you know had a threshold and everything had a long wait time and you could barely move they started uh closing the park down and they would do these different things to uh to not let people in um to, uh, to basically close the park to new guests. And then over time, they sort of uh, changed it so that they'd lower the cap a little bit and then let you know, vacation club property owners in and other people who had um, had paid more for the vacation be able to come in. But now with the this um, theme park reservation system, you're gonna change the way that works and it's gonna be a limited number of people that are gonna be allowed in every day and they're gonna be paying for that experience. So hopefully the experience gets plused as a result of that, hopefully. But we don't know. We won't know until we actually, until we actually see it in action and see everything kind of coming together. Then we'll know how it actually works and how well it works. But you do notice too, that Disney is changing all of their after hours parties. They used to have this delightful uh, Mickey's Very Merry Christmas party. And this year they're doing some sort of a holiday themed party. I don't know what it is exactly. And they used to have a kind of a fun, um, Mickey's, um, what was it called? Mickey's uh, Not So Scary Halloween Party and that was always fun too. That was a good time. They limited the number of people that came in. The price was totally reasonable. Um, you know, it was it was under $50 the last time I went. And I know it's probably gone up since then, but it was it was very affordable. And it was a lot of fun. And they capped the number of people that could come in the park. And now they've morphed it and they have these other things. I think they called it the Boobash this year instead of the not so scary Halloween party, and they were charging a premium on it. I believe the price they were charging at the top level for certain nights was $200, and I think it was like 130 140 for uh, a lot of nights in there. And the experience was very different. It wasn't as much fun. There weren't as many things open. It wasn't as interactive and entertaining and engaging from what I read. So I'm kind of like, wow, Disney is really changing the paradigm on what they're doing. It's a very different experience than it ever has been in the past. Now, I, I can say that um, I had occasion to be up in Orlando relatively recently and i was around and i was like well i I just want to drive by the parks and you know so i kind of drove out that way and so i you know just got my little taste of disney you know kind of driving around the the property a little bit and then um headed over to uh, disney springs for a few minutes and disney springs i remember downtown disney i remember the disney village marketplace i remember these places that were fun And, uh, you know, you can still capture a little glimmer of them between the World of Disney store and the Once Upon a Toy and a couple of things that are in there that are in that section. But the rest of it, wow, it's just a glorified mall in a way. And with the huge parking garages and everything, it's kind of crazy. Not necessarily bad, just kind of crazy. Um, So I just hung around for a few minutes, got my little taste of Disney and left. But it was kind of strange being there because I hadn't been to uh, Disney Springs in a couple of years a couple of years before I I went the last time. So, you know, probably been five years since the last time I was really at Disney Springs. And it was just a very different experience. It felt very different to me. It felt very corporate in a way. It was just kind of strange. So I see that and I kind of, you know, tuck that away as information that it's it's very likely that the rest of Disney World is going to kind of follow suit. So that's my take on all the changes that are happening, things that are going on. And I just wanted to share with you some of my thoughts about it.
0: One Little Spark of inspiration is at the heart (laughs) of all creation. Right at the start of everything that's new, One Little Spark
1: lights up for you. And for my One Little Spark segment today, I wanted to talk for a couple of minutes about reproductive health. Now, I know reproductive health has this interesting myriad of things that go through it. And at the top of it is always the abortion debate. And I don't really want to get into the abortion debate. I'm not here to do that. I want to talk about some of the other topics. But let me just say one thing about that, and that is that people have very strong opinions, either for or against it. And I would urge you and suggest to you that you take a few minutes to really listen to what both sides have to say. If you have a strong opinion on one side, listen to the other side. We get down to these pejorative terms about pro-life and pro-choice and we think about things that are sort of general and we talk about uh, the sanctity of life and we talk about reproductive health and we talk about controlling people or limiting people and what they can do. And all of these things have a function in society. You know, we can have this discussion, we can have this debate, but I would just urge you to listen to it, listen to the debate, and understand what it's really all about and make an informed decision rather than just kind of going, hey, I believe this way. And that's all I would say about that. Just sort of keep an open mind and listen a little bit. So, thinking about the general nature of what we think about with reproductive health, there's this underlying problem we have. And it's related back to the idea of having uh, the abortion debate. And it has to do with the fact that we kind of bind everything together. We don't talk about individual things within uh, this whole idea of reproductive health. We, we kind of think about it as one or the other or nothing or everything. And there's not really a discussion that's had in a, in a uh, simpler sense where we talk about very specific things. So I would argue that when you look at some of the clinics that offer women's health services, we forget about the fact that they're offering services to primarily women who can't afford medical care and need some sort of care. There's you know different forms of cancer that women have that men don't. There are different health issues that women have that men don't. And without su- sufficient healthcare in this country, sometimes going to a clinic may be your only option. So deriding a clinic because of something they do and not thinking about the good that they do in society, we kind of sell ourselves short. We, we miss out on something. So I just want you to consider that for a moment. And the other part of it is about sexual education. We sort of uh, pass the buck on that one a lot for generations now. It's always been about you know, this debate about should we teach people about sex and should we offer contraception and talk about uh, how to protect yourself. And I think there are some people who would rather just talk, talk about abstinence only and that's you know that's good enough, right? But we, again, we do ourselves a disservice because as humans, we're all the product of the reproductive cycle. We have children and they're the product of the reproductive cycle. And we should be celebrating that and talking about it and explaining that to people. And you know, the kids of tomorrow should know how this happens, the biology of it all, the, the physical nature of it, goods and bads that go with it, because there's a lot of things that we should be teaching. Now, of course, it should come back to the parents to be teaching this at home, sure, certainly. But I think there's more to it. There's more about teaching about sexual health and reproductive health in that sense, where we don't we drop the ball and we don't do a good enough job. And with today's society, where you have this instant uh, information at your fingertips, you know you have the phone in your hands or your your iPad or even your computer that's connected. You have a world of information out there. It's terrific that we have it, but sometimes it's a real detriment. We forget about the fact that there's some bad out there, and so many times kids are learning about sex education online from people. We don't know what they're saying, good, bad, or indifferent, but they're learning something. And it's kind of a daunting thought when you realize that they may be being taught something outside of the bounds of anything that might be uh, something that's that's, uh, scientific in nature or fact-based. They may just be learning something, and they may learn about something in a very wild way. And it's kind of a scary thought. And if we stopped and thought about that for a minute, we might bring sexual education back in and start talking about it again as something useful. So that's it. That's all I wanted to talk about in the sense of reproductive health. Just stop and think about what what your positions are on things and why you think that. And maybe just open up a little bit more and think about sexuality as an important thing in our society and something that we should celebrate and understand. And that is my podcast for this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. And remember, if we can dream it, we can certainly do it. Bye now.